Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. I want to talk about something this morning. I've just been brewing in my heart and... uh, I want, I want to talk about some principles, and I want to tie it in with what we have been talking about the last several weeks. And so I'm going to do a little bit of review. But what I want to talk about this morning, I want to, I want to look at th- these three concepts. I want to look at God's purposes, God's promises, and then His principles. Those are three distinct yet interrelated components to the kingdom of God. God has his purposes, he has his promises, and then he has his principles. And if we don't distinguish between the two, we can get ourselves tripped up. And if we don't understand that the fact is God operates by his purposes, he makes promises, but sometimes the way we interpret the promises are superseded by a principle we don't know yet. And we can get ourselves in trouble. Let me say it again. God operates by his purposes. He has his target, his predetermined targets. God's purposes will prevail. The question is, where are you going to fall in that process? Are you going to be a co-laborer? Are you going to collaborate with God? Or are you going to be an impediment that God has to move around? And, and uh, you know, So God wants us to partner with him in his purposes. God, God operates in partnership. He, he wouldn't have to, but that's the way he set this thing up because God's a team player. And he really is an empowering leader. He wants you initiated and enlisted in his purposes. So we have his purposes, and then God makes promises to us in the process of us cooperating in his purposes. But sometimes there are principles that will supersede the promises of God. Or at least our interpretation of the promises of God. And we can get offended because we had an expectation that wasn't met. And I've been there. Anybody ever been offended with God? Man, just a few of you. I want you to lay hands on me after service. I want an impartation of what you got. There have been times where I have been offended by God. It's because of my limited perspective, and there were principles that, had I understood those principles, would have uncovered some of his ways. It would have helped me understand what he was doing, so I wouldn't get offended. And so we need to understand, God has his purposes. They are the predetermined plan of God, his target. And we need to understand the purposes of God. And, and just by the way, all, all of this is found in the Word. Not only is it found in the Word as in, yeah, that's where I got my sermon this morning. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you want to discover personally the purposes of God for your life and, in, and for humanity in general, if you, want to understand, if you want to grasp the promises of God for you specifically and for humanity in general, and if you want to understand the principles that will help you understand the ways of God, they are all found in this book. And if you're not in this book, you are setting yourself up for offense. You are setting yourself up for disappointment and disillusionment and offense. Now, God is good. He's a good father and he circles back around and and he'll walk us through things. But I'm telling you, if we will remain in this book and, and study this book and cry out for understanding, we will learn both, all three, not both, but his purposes His promises and His principles. And those are three different things. God operates by His purposes. He has objectives that He is going to accomplish. And the more we understand that, the more we can align with His purposes. We can get in the flow of what He is doing. And rather than living contrary to what He's doing, we can cooperate. He operates and we cooperate. And not resist Remember when God confronted Saul, who would become Paul, he said, why do you kick against the goads? He was resisting the grace of God that was drawing him. The picture there is 
of a beast of burden. They would have, they would strap it to a, a plow and they would have these long prong, like, almost like long, thin, uh, like a spear like thing. And they would poke it if it, if it was resisting the, the plow and it would hit these pricks and it would teach the bird, the beast of burden, that ox or whatever it was, not to resist, but just to get on with the program. And God was saying, Paul, I've harnessed you for my purposes, but you are kicking against the pricks. You are resisting my purposes. So we need to understand God's purposes. We need to understand his overall purpose. And now here, let me, now let me let you in on something else. Here is a principle about his purposes. Often, God will give you a promise, but keep his purpose veiled. God will give you a little insight into his purposes. And we think it's the ultimate insight into his purposes when God is hiding some of his purposes from us. Anybody think God will hide his purposes from you? I'll tell you two reasons why God will do that. I'm sure there's more. He's smarter than me. But I, I, I give you two right now. First Corinthians chapter 2, it says that God hid his purposes so that the enemy couldn't strategize to head God off at the pass. What he, so what God did is God kept his purposes secret. When we, we look at that word, we've talked about it a, a year ago or so, how in Scripture... There's this dynamic in the kingdom of heaven. One of the ways that God governs the kingdom of God is through two simultaneous uh, techniques. He has mysteries and he has revelation. God moves things forward through knowledge. If you want to grow in God, if you want to go in God, if you want to move with God, you've got to understand. You move in understanding. He teaches you. He brings you along. And the more you know, the more you can go with God. And in order to grow, you've got to know. And we've talked about all that before. But God will veil His purposes. It's the word mystery in Scripture, and it's all through, especially Paul and Jesus' theology. Jesus talks about the mysteries of the kingdom. Paul talks about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And and the the Greek word is mysterion, the root word. It's rooted in this ancient concept of a war room where military bodies would send out reconnaissance and they would gather intel and then they would bring it back and they would gather all the intel from all these different sources and they would hammer out a strategy. But it was a very secretive process. And then once they nailed down the strategy, they had it in print, they would seal that written document in a leather satchel with a wax seal. And they would have the troops already positioned. And they would not get their marching orders until they were already in place. And those soldiers that could not obey orders that they didn't have understanding about would never qualify to get the mysteries. The soldiers that said, I've got to understand, before I'm going to go out there and endanger my life, I need to, you need to explain the whole plan to me before, so I can weigh it and decide if I'm going to do it. They would never be handed those mysteries, those, the mysterion, the, the, the battle plans. And the reason they were held until that moment, and if the wax seal had been broken, they would not execute those plans because these plans were of such high level of significance to the strategy of the empire that if it fell into enemy hands, it could turn, it could turn the tide on everything. And so they had these, the mysterion. And it was sealed until the time. And we see that idea, that concept, that principle all throughout Scripture. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter, I want to say it's chapter 2. It might be chapter 3. Check. Uh, or ask Bill Culver. But uh, it's, in Scripture, there's, there's things that are held until the time. And it says that in times past, the, the men of old longed to look into the. Another passage talks about angels longing to look into these things. But these mysteries, these revelations are now being released by His holy apostles and prophets. So there was a release date on these particular purposes. So there are things in the plan of God and the purpose of God that God keeps hidden from his servants. And what that demands of you and I is a high level of trust in his character. Because where we have God's purposes, we have God's promises, and we have God's principles, where all these meet is in the character of God. 
And when we are rooted in a high level of confidence in the goodness of his character, we can roll with heaven even when we don't understand what heaven is doing. And so God goes to great lengths to prove himself to us again and again. He's enabling us to place our faith in his great faithfulness. And he does that by revealing facets of himself. And over time we grow in our faith because he's proven himself. And the ultimate proof that he can be trusted is, Romans 5, he demonstrated his love to you in this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That was the overt, objective illustration. God saying, I want to prove to you how much I love you. I'm going to give my son. And we look at Calvary, and that's the beginning of our faith. And God continues to grow us in faith. But we have to cooperate because only those who will trust him can move along with him. And so we have our faith in his faithfulness and his purposes. But there are times where God will lead us into waters we don't understand. And sometimes God will lead us into his purposes with a promise. But there are times where that promise is not fully understood. There are times where we misinterpret a promise from God. I remember years ago I was praying. It was one of those times where I was disillusioned. And I, I just cried out to the Lord and it kind of surprised me what I said. Because I'd never really thought about it. It just kind of popped out of my spirit and fell out my mouth. And and this is what I said. God, I'm disillusioned and disappointed. Because I thought I had an appointment and it was based on an illusion. I'm disappointed and disillusioned because I thought I had an appointment and it was based on an illusion. I felt like God had given me some promises about some things. And I was so sure. And then the, the time came and went and there was no materialization of the promise. And I was disillusioned. God will lead us on in his purposes through a promise. But he won't show us the whole purpose because he wants to thwart the enemy. He doesn't want the enemy to get a hold of that because God is, God is always, God's good chess player. He's maneuvering things and drawing the enemy in. And in the last minute, it's checkmate. That was the cross. Scripture is very clear. Had the princes, uh, had the rulers of this dark age understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They were lured in by their desire to inflict pain on God. And God hooked the enemy with the bait of Christ. And they subjected Jesus to torture and pain. And, and uh, they, you know, killed him. And then on the third day, hell got indigestion. Oh, I don't feel so good. And all of a sudden, Jesus came up he was lured in with he was lured in by a, a principle and the that the enemy didn't understand the purposes of God and so often that will happen it so it, it would be awesome if the enemy was just the one that's always surprised wouldn't it and we're not surprised we're, we're in on the whole thing I knew from the beginning you know but between the promise and the fulfillment of the, that, that promise, and often the delay, and even sometimes the denial of the promise, because of a higher principle, we can get offended and disillusioned. And so we need to understand these principles of God. When I talk about the principles of God, what I'm talking about are the ways of God. When Scripture talks about, show me your ways, it's show me the way you behave, show me the the, 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 uh, the ideas, the logic, the belief system, the principles by which you behave yourself. Lord, so that I can, I can anticipate your behavior and I can cooperate with you. And there are way, the ways of God. What does Isaiah say? He says, my ways are higher than your ways. And so there are things that we at times latch our faith to, but God is operating at a higher plane. And so we can interpret something and miss God and get offended. And so we need to understand not only God's purposes, we need to understand his promises, but we need to understand his promises in, through the lens of his principles. Now, let me kind of back up a little bit. A number of months ago, we were talking 
this is probably three months back, we've been talking about Hebrews 11 and how there's this hall of faith, all these heroes of faith in, in Hebrews 11. And it talks about this, this list of people who did great exploits through faith and they shut the mouths of lions and they routed the enemy and, and all this list of things, all the stuff that we go hallelujah about and all the things we aspire to. And then mid-sentence, mid-verse, he says, but there were others. And he shifts gears, and then he gets into the stuff we don't want to talk about. And they were just as much men of faith, women of faith, and you could make an argument from the text that they were even more so people of faith, because it says of that group of people, of them the world was not worthy. It's Hebrews 11, you can look it up. So it's talking about these people who did great exploits by faith, achieving faith. But then at midstream, it talks about another company of people of whom the world was not worthy. And it says, there's two categories there. There were those who were denied the promise of deliverance. And there there were those who refused the promise of deliverance. That they saw the promise and said, no thank you, I'm going to roll it over so there's a greater victory. I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm not going to cash out my investment, I'm going to roll it over so it will grow into the next generation. And so there's this category of people. And what we need to understand, you say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because this principle must be grasped by us. We need to understand that there are those who refuse the promise, and then there are those who are denied the promise. And it, it, the, the, the passage is explicit. Matter of fact, can you guys put Hebrews 12 up on the screen? Would that be possible? I mean, Hebrews 11. Let's, let's just look at that very quickly because we need to understand the ways of God. Look with me. Look at verse, look at verse 35 through 38. If you look at verse 31, by faith, let me read this to you, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And then it says in verse 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who went, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then it says others. Halfway through verse 35. Others. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain an even better resurrection. Go ahead and put up the next few verses there. Just uh, put up verse 36 through 38. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and, and in holes in the ground. Verse 39, if we go there. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them had received what had been promised. We got that up there? Look at that. These were all commended for their faith. It was real faith. And yet none of them received what had been promised. It was a real promise. They didn't misinterpret. They didn't assume they had been given a promise. They had really received a promise. And they, re- they exercised very real faith in the promise. Yet they were commended for their faith and none of them received since God had something better for us. So that together, only together with us would they be made perfect. And that word means complete. In other words, the purpose of God for their life and for the situation they were going through. There was a plan that God had. They had a promise, but God had a purpose. And there was a principle that would have saved them from offense when they didn't get the promise that would fulfill the purpose of God. You following me? God has his purposes. Now, let's pause there. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Samuel and Hannah. And the Lord began to speak to me about how often God will introduce to your and my life a trial, a situation, 
a crisis. And we're, we're, we're caught up in our own little world, and there's nothing wrong with that. God, God understands we are but dust, but we have our, our personal struggle, whatever that is. And we don't understand that God drew us into a personal crisis so he could create a much bigger solution. He draws us into a personal crisis to create a national solution. We have Samuel. Well, we don't have Samuel. That's the problem. We have Hannah. Hannah is a mom that wants kids. She's just a housewife. She's a single. She, not single. She's a, she's a matter of fact, she's just the opposite of single. She's married to a guy with another wife. She's a double wife. You know, she's a sister wife. She's got a, another wife sitting at the dinner table. That's a whole dysfunction in itself. But anyway, so there, and, and the other lady's having kids. Elkanah has, or, uh, Peninnah has children, but Hannah has none. And to make matters worse, Peninnah ain't nice about it. She say, oh, oh, feeling my baby kick. You never felt that, did you? Wiggle her little belly towards her, you know. It, uh, she's, she's just tormenting her. You know, I have kids, you don't have any. I, I always feel like I'm treading on dangerous ground when I start messing around about pregnancies and stuff. So, ladies, no offense. It, uh, I just thank God I'm a man. I've, I just respect you so much having been able to bring kids into the world. Hallelujah. But here's Hannah. She's got, she's got this deep-seated pain, but the text is very clear. God closed her womb. It was God himself who thwarted who frustrated a natural process to create a problem so that Hannah would pray through and her, the answer to her prayer would literally give birth to a national solution. And what she doesn't understand, this immediate problem is solving an eternal problem. Here she is, she's, she's praying through. She just wants a baby. That's all she's, she's got her mind. I just want a baby. She doesn't understand that God is heading off the strategy of the enemy because you got a backslidden priesthood in the temple by the name of Eli and his, his profligate sons who are immoral and profane. And God could either judge the whole nation or create a solution by frustrating this little mama. It's an amazing thing. And what I'm saying is your personal problem very well may be God setting you up to be the producer of a much grander solution than you have a clue to. Amen. And we don't, because we don't understand the full purposes of God, we're just trying to claim the promises of God. And then when we don't understand these principles, we get disillusioned. Because Hannah's down here saying, God, you know, you, you, she's claiming all the verses about being fruitful and multiply and all this stuff. And yet she's hindered and frustrated because she doesn't understand there's a higher principle that has to do with God's purposes. And often God doesn't let us in on the purpose. You know the other reason why not? Not just because of the enemy, because of you and I. Because we would mess it up. It's not just he's worried about the enemy. Sometimes the enemy we need to bind is ourselves. you know. It's like that old comic, we found the enemy and he is us. If we knew the purposes of God, sometimes the purposes of God would undermine us and undermine our engagement. If we knew how things were going to turn out, we would not have gauged heaven to, with the tenacity that we did. And it was the very tenacity, it was the very intercession of Hannah that produced a Samuel. He could have been just a normal boy had he been birthed by normal means. But God frustrated the normal means so that he would be birthed through intercession and he came out a special kid. There were things that were removed from his pathway before conception so he wouldn't have to deal with them in life. And he could go farther and become more. And you know what Samuel did? Samuel was the one who inaugurated the royal position of a king in Israel. And then, more importantly, he crowned King David and set up this royal lineage that continues on today, the, the lineage of our Messiah, the son of David, King Jesus. And it all goes back to the anointing of a prophet named Samuel. He was the one who crowned that thing and, and prophetically declared an anointing on the line and lineage of David. And you and I, are living in the benefit of that today. And it all came because 
this girl wanted a baby. And all she thought is, I just want a baby. I don't want, I'm not looking for greatness. I'm not looking to have, be a you know, household name. I just want a baby, just one baby. And God frustrated the process for her to have one baby. But in, in so doing, there was this frustration, this intercession that began. And her breakthrough was more than her breakthrough. It was a breakthrough for a nation. And it was a breakthrough for the kingdom of heaven. And it was a breakthrough for you and I. But the purpose wasn't clear. All she had was a promise. She was a little frustrated girl standing between the purposes of God and the principles of God, holding on to a promise of God. And because she didn't understand the purpose, that God was going to inaugurate something so much bigger than she imagined. And because she didn't understand the principle that there's times God will overrule his promise for the sake of his purpose. And it's right there in that passage. God will overrule his promise for the sake of a principle. And if we don't understand this, we can get offended, we can get frustrated, and we can miss God. And so, God will often keep his purposes veiled to us. He just will. Because you and I don't have the tenacity to stay engaged if we knew the outcome. Because a lot of times what we're praying for is not really what we're praying for, but we just don't know it. God has engaged us in prayer about a subject matter. He paints a target on the wall. He draws us out with our desire. He cooperates. He's he's causing us to be engaged. And in love, he's pulling us along. But he only shows us a part of the purpose to pull us along. But we don't understand it's a much grander purpose. And had we understood what the end result would be, we very well may not be able to stay engaged. And our prayers that we're focusing on this thing are accomplishing other things and we don't even know it. And that's what was going on with Hannah. And that often happens. That is a principle of the kingdom of God that we often do not understand. And if we understand it, it can save us from offense. And again, God's purposes, his promises, and his principles all find themselves in the word, but ultimately in the character of God. This book is no different in this sense. Just hear me out here. That sounds heretical. This book is no different than any other words. Words are a manifestation of the heart of the speaker and the author. Okay? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the hand writes. And just like books are an expression of their author, this book is an expression of the author. We can trust this word because we trust the character behind it. And we can trust the character behind it because we know we trust his word. His word and his character are one. This is an expression of who he is. And so the more we know this, we can, we can cry out and say, God, I want to understand your principles. I want to understand your ways. You see the men of old, David crying this out in Psalm 25. Oh God, show me your ways. I want to understand your ways. Why? Because he understood, God, your ways are higher. And I'm seeing things from this level. But you're, you're, up, you're at a much higher level. And you're operating up here and your purposes are being accomplished. But I'm down here and I'm, it's like I'm sweating. Swinging at things and I can't get a grasp. And Lord, I need to be brought into your counsel. I need to understand your ways. And I'm telling you, God longs to bring us into his ways. But those things, those mysteries of the kingdom, these principles, are only given to those who are hungry enough to press in for them. God wants to share his heart with us. There's that verse in the Psalms where it says... God showed his works to Israel, but his ways to Moses. He's juxtaposing these two things. That Israel got to see a lot of cool things. Man, I didn't get up in the morning, there's a pillar of, you know, a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. That's cool. They'd get up and there'd be manna and, you know, they saw water coming out of a rock. That's all cool. I mean, I, I, that's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm for that. I, I think that would really be cool. It would be great PR if there was a pillar of cloud over our church by day. And by night, people would come by and, 
big old flame, you know. I, I think that possibly more people would start coming. I mean, that's, that'd be an awesome time. I'm just thinking, you know. But that is inferior to his ways. Moses said, God, I want to understand why you do what you do. I'm not, I'm not satisfied to just sit in the chair and watch you on the stage, like, perform acts. I want to be behind the scenes. I want to understand what motivates your heart. I want to know you intimately. I want to know your ways. And when we understand his ways, we can cooperate at a higher degree with heaven. So we have these ways of God, these principles that will supersede promises. And there are times where God will draw us in and then we get disillusioned because of our interpretation of a promise. But what he's inviting us, here's, here's what I'm saying this morning. If you're disillusioned, if you're disappointed, if you've been discouraged, if you've been uh, disappointed in your relationship with God, you are in actuality at the threshold of a fresh revelation of a principle God is working by. But it, it, it demands this presupposition. You've got to come to this with this thing. God is good. And if I feel like he has wronged me, it's because there's something I don't yet understand. And that's where we got to come to it. And if we will come with that, I'm telling you, this is the pathway. Right beneath the opportunities for your greatest offense are the greatest nuggets of revelation. And God, and, and the wonderful thing about our Father is he knows we're but dust. God, God knows, man, the Lord's not up here in some disconnected way and say, just deal with it. God God's near the brokenhearted. When we're disappointed, when we're hurting, God longs to comfort us, but he also longs to bring us into a higher counsel. He wants to reveal his ways, but we can forfeit that through offense. Look at, let's look real quick at, uh, look at um, Matthew 11. This is just one example among many, Okay. We just talked about one in the cross. You want to talk about disillusionment. The disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years. And all of a sudden, they're, you know, they're thinking, hey, we're, man, we're, we're in a good position. This, this is going to be, this is the Messiah. He's the next ruler. And they're all kind of jockeying for position. Hey, could I have the throne right to your left and my brother right to your right? And they're all kind of squabbling, oh, who's going to get the best seat? And all of a sudden, Jesus gets arrested and they're watching him be crucified. And what happens? Man, they are scattering. You want to talk about disillusioned. Man, Peter's denying him, cussing. He's, you know, he's saying, ah, I don't know the guy, and blankety blank, and just trying to distance himself. And, and the last time he does it, he's in proximity to Jesus, close enough that Jesus catches his eye. Jesus has already been beaten. He's being taken to the cross. He's bloodied. And he, he's standing there, and he catches Peter's eye. And it just there's an arrow because Peter still loves him, but he doesn't understand what's going on. And he is so disillusioned. It's like his whole world is on tilt. And, man, I had these plans, and we were going in this direction, and this is awesome. I've seen you do miracles. Nothing can, could, could defeat you. And now he sees him subjected to these Roman soldiers being beaten and thrown on the cross, and Peter is just freaked out. Unless you think it's just that Peter is freaked out because the plan of God is not what he thought it was. Jesus then reveals himself in John 20 and walks through a wall and reveals himself to Peter. And now Peter's on tilt. I mean, he's doing a meltdown because, you know, he's thinking this, I, I thought this was going to be something big. And all of a sudden, the whole thing is trashed and Peter has turned his back and he's feeling such guilt. He knows he hurt the Lord. And it says he went out and he wept bitterly. And now Jesus walks through the wall. Now he's knowing, oh, this is bigger than I thought. Oh my goodness, his, his mind is melting down. And what does Peter do? He still goes back to fishing in John 21. Why? Because Peter is so disillusioned about himself. Peter feels like, I disqualified myself, man. I, I can't do this. I, I denied him in the, his hour of greatest need. And he's just devastated. He's, you know, he's thinking, I, I can always go back fishing. I got that figured out. 
This is after the resurrection, after he has seen Jesus. He's, rather than continuing on in ministry, Peter's gone back. He's backslidden. He's gone back. Not saying he didn't believe in the Lord. I'm saying Peter didn't believe in Peter. He left his calling. That's why it says when he went out in the water, it says when he heard the voice on the shoreline. And and Jesus appeared in a way that Peter didn't at first recognize. You know, Jesus will do that sometimes. You ever had him done that? He shows up in a way that you don't readily recognize. And Jesus starts making breakfast. Man, you got to love Jesus. Man in his darkest hour. He told his disciples in the garden. He said, guys, can't you just pray with me? Could you tarry one hour? He's hurting, man. He's, he's, he's looking this thing down the barrel. And he's, he's, he's saying, God, if there's any other way, let's do this the other way. But God, if not, your will, not mine. And he goes back and the disciples are all snoring. These guys, can't you just pray with me? Hang with me in this. And then he's being beaten and Peter denies him. Jesus is crucified. He's resurrected. What does he do? He shows up and he said, hey guys, look at my hands inside. Breathe on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. And they still, they go out fishing. And what does Jesus do? How does he respond to this guy who denied him? Took a nap in his hour of greatest need. Denied him when he's being beaten. And then goes back to what God, Jesus called him from initially. What does Jesus do? He makes him breakfast. It's an amazing thing. And so Jesus says, hey, throw your, your nets on the other side. And, and Peter, there's this, this sensation of, oh, I've heard this before. And they get such a great load. And it's interesting, the first time Jesus says this, their boat begins to sink. They, it, it can't, they can't hold it. But it says this time explicitly, even though there was such a great load of fish, their boat did not sink. He's telling us something. Peter's been through some things. Though Peter is thinking, I've disqualified myself, he's stronger than he's ever been. He's right where God needs him. And Jesus calls to him. And he looks at the disciples. He said, it's the Lord. And it says he grabs his coat. It's like that that mantle, that calling he took off. He can't help himself. Because Jesus is calling. He grabs his coat and he jumps in the water. He's trying to swim to shore. He said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And they sit down and they're eating around the fire. And they're just talking. And then Jesus asks him a question. Peter, do you love me? It's a hurtful thing. Peter, you remember he was saying so strong, Lord, man, you worry about these other guys, but I'm with you through thick and thin, buddy. I'm your man. But when push came to shove, Peter denied him. And Peter's cut. And he says, Lord, you know I love you. But if you look in the original text, they use two different words. Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have that unconditional commitment unto the end kind of death for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. He uses a yet lesser word. He's saying, God, Jesus, I can't be so arrogant anymore. I made some claims I didn't follow through on. But Lord, you know I've got affection for you. Lord, I... I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. He's telling them, hey, listen, you haven't disqualified yourself by your wavering. This was part of my purpose to lay a foundation in your life. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape him? He said, Lord, you know I phileo you. He said, feed my sheep. And then he asked him again. But this time, even Jesus used the other word. And he questions, Peter, Do you really phileo me? And it says, Peter was hurt that he asked it this third time. And he said, Lord, you know I phileo you. And the Lord said, feed my sheep. He said, listen, Peter, when you were young, you didn't go where you were supposed to go. But when you're old, you're going to be led where you do not want to go. What he's saying is, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you to the place where I can lead you even when you don't want to go. It's a beautiful thing of restoration. But Peter had gone through that disillusioning time. He saw some of the purposes of God, that God wanted to inaugurate his messianic king in his kingdom. 
but he didn't understand the higher purposes of God, the way it was going to be carried out. So Peter had these promises that he misinterpreted because he didn't understand all the purposes, and he got himself in a fix. But Jesus just loves them back into position. And then we have this one. I I love the Lord, how he deals with our failures. Look at Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? So he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, of course, Jesus' cousin. They, uh, they had church when they were still in their mama's wombs. Jesus, Mary walks in and John jumps in the womb. He's filled with the Spirit from birth. These guys, they've been running together for a long time. And now, John, the one who introduces Jesus' ministry, is now in prison for a stand he took for righteousness. And it says that John says this. Or he said... Ask, told his disciples, ask him, are you the one to come, who was to come or should we expect someone else? Think about that. John, who was the one who introduced Jesus' ministry. It was John the Baptist who put himself on the line and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who believed. He was the one who announced. He was the one, uh, you know, he, he was the one who launched Jesus' ministry. But in this hour of darkness, John is wavering on his own message. And he's saying, is it, are you really the Christ or should we expect someone else? What in the world was going on? How could John the Baptist? And then you read what Jesus says about him in this passage and you realize what a great man he was. This is what he says. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. He quotes Isaiah 66. He's quoting right out of this messianic prophecy saying, hey, everything that it says about the Messiah, you're seeing Except he leaves something out. To set at liberty those who are prisoners. He stops short of the very thing that would have helped John. John's thinking, hey, that's great that you, you heal the blind and you, you know, heal the deaf, but I'm not blind or deaf. I'm in prison. I, I need that line. I need you to speak that line to me. But Jesus leaves it out. And then Jesus says this, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. The King James Version just says, Blessed is he who is not offended on account of me. That's why I ask, you ever been offended with God? Where you you have these expectations and God doesn't fulfill them? I'm telling you, right behind that unfulfilled expectation is a revelation of a principle that God is working on. That God's working according to. And if we understand that, it will take us deeper and help us to understand and keep us from offense. The cross was that same principle. It's like the the law of of gravity. There is a law called uh, law of gravity, but there's a higher law called the law of aerodynamics. And it supersedes the law of gravity. In actuality, it leverages that law to overcome it. And if you don't understand, if you're, if you're you know, someone who doesn't have any background in physics, you've never seen a plane, you've never heard any of that, you think that, they, they, oh, they must have broken the law of gravity or it negates the law of gravity. No, it doesn't. The law of gravity is still real. There's, just a, very, there's a higher law that leverages this law of gravity and overcomes it. And in actuality, maneuvers above it by manipulating that law so it can go higher. And God has, God has his principles and he has higher principles. His ways are higher than our ways. And there are times that we can understand the principles of God, and man, we're all excited and we see what God's doing, but there are, then there's higher principles that he operates by. And sometimes those higher principles will supersede the lower principles and we can be offended. And so what we need to understand, we need to press in, and we need to come always with this presupposition, God, you're good. You are good. 
And so, Lord, if I, if I'm, right now I'm struggling, so I need you to show me what's the principle here. And God longs to share his heart with us. It's so beautiful what Jesus says here in regards to John. It says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. It's, it's as they were leaving. And I think it explicitly says that because he wanted them to hear. Because they're going to go back and say, John, listen, this is what Jesus said. He said, hey, the things that the Messiah is going to do, he's doing. And then he said, blessed are you if you don't get offended about it. And then they say, but you know what, John? He also said something else. Because as we were leaving, we heard him continue to talk. And he was talking about you, John. He mentioned you in his message. And listen to what Jesus says. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swaying by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth among those born of women. There has not been, there has never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. (coughs) Excuse me. Never has there been one greater than John the Baptist, born among women. And Jesus commends him. He doesn't, he doesn't upbraid him and you know, rebuke him and tell his disciples to go back and say he should have more faith. Jesus just ministers to him and says, he just says, man, he's a great man. So in closing, I'm just going to read through a few notes and then we're going to close here. There are three intersecting but distinct elements in the economy of God. His promises, his purposes, and his principles. Promises are often shorter term than his, principle, his purposes. And God will often share a promise but veil his purpose. He'll give you a promise but he'll veil his purpose. God will create a personal crisis to pull us into a process to solve a larger one. When we don't have a conviction of his goodness, this can be offensive. Purposes and the use of mystery by God. God will reveal some of what he is going to do, but leave other parts hidden, precisely because revealing it would either tip off the enemy or undermine our engagement. When dealing with the purposes of God, we are dealing with something that is longer-term nature than his promises. God doesn't always reveal his ultimate purposes. God is always moving on multiple planes. He may reveal some of what he is doing on a personal level while veiling what he is doing on a national level. Hannah's barrenness and Israel's leadership crisis were one such situation. The longer term the purpose, the more of a mystery it tends to remain. Let me say it again. The longer term the purpose, the more the mystery, more of a mystery it tends to remain. Its principles, it is principles which give us insight into what God is doing. These principles are found in His Word, but these principles often have to be mined out. There are times that a promise is superseded by a principle for the purposes of God. This can create an opportunity for offense if we are not careful. It is principles that unlock His ways and guard our hearts. Principles are the key. There are principles which guide us and guard us against offense, but the ultimate is a conviction of His goodness. There are truths that that are higher ones that seem to often negate lower ones. When we are ignorant of these principles, it can set us up for disappointment. Gravity is one such principle. Aerodynamics is a higher law and and in one sense overrules it. Both are true, but if one does not understand the higher law, it can create doubt regarding the lower one. Aerodynamics does not negate gravity, it actually leverages it. It cooperates with it to overcome its effects. The cross did the same with death. Death is moral gravity. The cross leveraged it to overcome it and actually created a lift out of its effects. It capitalized upon it to overcome it. There is a princ- this is a principle replicated in both the physical and spiritual realms. But the process of working out this pr- principle often creates an opportunity for disillusionment and offense for those who do not understand it. Because between the cross and the resurrection, we have the opportunity for disillusionment. In fact, even after the resurrection, the disciples couldn't process the greater purposes and actually went back to what they were called from. It is the process between the promises, purposes, and the veiled principles which create a tension. Even a seeming contradiction which requires faith. 
Often what we think of as promises of God's word are actually principles. Let me say it again. Often what we think of as promises of God's word are actually principles. They are laws of the kingdom as opposed to personal commitments of the king. This is important to realize because there are times when these principles are superseded by higher ones. When we view them as promises, we can feel the right to hold God to them when he is operating on a higher principle. I know this is not a hallelujah message, okay? Often when we are in the process, the ways of God will seem tremendously unfair and even unjust. It isn't until they are complete that we see what's really going on. And much of this will remain veiled until eternity. This is what constitutes the fight of faith. It is holding to the goodness of God in the face of seeming contradictions. But eternity will tell. God's principles reveal his thoughts and ways and flow from his characters, from his character. His promises are connected to his purposes and his principles reveal his character. But there are mysteries to his ways that can make us stumble if they're not rooted in the goodness of God and his character. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just, we humble ourselves before your your mighty purposes. And Lord, we stand on your promises. And Lord, we continue to ask for your intervention. Lord, I ask God that you would teach us your ways. Lord, help us to be men and women of principle. Lord, that we understand that you take us deeper through our experiences. Lord, As we go through your purposes, Father, we want to gain insight. We want to come out the other side knowing you more. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do just that. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.